Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed and my wife, Suzanne McNamara, who's here in uh, her professional capacity uh, as an aging life care manager. And we're talking about aging life care, um, also known as uh, more commonly maybe as elder care. And we were we were going we were getting through the continuum of care, which I don't think we actually finished. Right. We took a uh, we, mm-hmm. we started off with home care. We talked a little bit about adult day health in our last segment. And we I believe we made it up to uh, assisted living care. But I don't think we ever got to nursing home. And then I know we're going to talk about, you know, probably facilities that, that do more than one thing at a time. So, um, Suzanne, does that sound about right to you? Is that where we left off? That sounds about right. All that, agreed. Is where, that is where we left off. Yes, I think Why we we actually left off when we were talking about uh, we kind of had a, had gone off on a side note and talking about VNA. Hmm. As I said, the okay. sort of the continuum of care is it's not linear necessarily. It's it's not as easy to understand as um, as some might think. It's it's just it's nuanced. It kind of there, there's some places that do more and less, but they're sort of in the same um, plane, so to speak. So it's a little bit nuanced. So it's it's not as as clear cut and linear. Hmm. Okay. Well, do you have, do, do we have more on VNA or do you want to jump to nursing home? I don't want, I don't want to skip anything, right? Obviously yeah. you know more about this stuff than we do and yeah. we, we're trying to educate the audience here. So, um, so by all so, means, if I missed if we missed anything, we can circle back. I don't think, you know, nothing else on VNA, just to understand that it's typically pretty short term. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's, it's pretty limited once someone either plateaus in terms of making progress or is unable to participate or reaches their goals, they're they're sort of taken off that service and the VNA usually stops. So, you know, usually the reason for the VNA in the home is oftentimes the physical or occupational therapy that someone needs to get a little bit stronger after a hospital stay. And, and so it's usually, you know, oftentimes the physical therapist and the occupational therapist that kind of determine how long someone qualifies for the VNA at home. So, like I said, those mm. those three reasons that someone stops qualifying are typically that they they plateau. You know, perhaps they've had a stroke and um, they're they're working towards goals of you know functional ability, and they plateau. They come to a certain level where they just aren't making any more progress after a certain number of visits. That's that's reason number one. Reason number two is they you know either refuse to participate or can't really cognitively participate in therapy for one reason or another. Reason number three is that they reach their goals. So the therapist set a number of functional goals. They reach them all. Great. Everybody's happy. And they, they come off physical occupational therapy and come off the VNA. So um, that is that. And again, a lot of, a lot of people feel, you know, rely in their head on the VNA, thinking that that will cover them for a period of time. And it, it, it really is pretty short term. Yeah. And you were saying the VNA is covered by Medicare. 
right? But just for a short period of time. But it's, I mean, we talked about earlier that that you can, of course, private pay for Mm -hmm. nurses to visit your house. I mean, it's visiting nurses, right? And there, I don't know if it's the VNA or if it's other organizations that will send nurses to your house and certainly you coordinate all that. uh, And you can, you you know, you can pretty much privately pay for anything. Right, right. Physical therapist, occupational therapist. There's all of, you know, there's lots of companies that provide all of those services for, uh, you know, a fee. Yeah. Yeah. So you can always supplement there, but but that VNA that's paid for by Medicare is is fairly short term. It's not usually going to be months and months ongoing. Okay. Okay. So that is that. What so we talked. Yeah, I bet on well, nursing homes. I know I, that's probably going to be the quickest one because I think we're most. I was going to uh, do that. Okay. Save the best for last. I was going to do that last. Um, <laughs> that was that was a. Oh, there's another one. Because nursing okay. homes are, are not the best. But yeah. um, I was going to talk about CCRCs. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Okay. I, so, yeah, and thank you because I don't really understand how they differ from like assisted living, yeah, or independent yeah, living. So it's so it's yeah. CCRC, and there, you know, I there's more more and more CCRCs popping up. Um, oh. that's Is that your, my phone? That's, phone? that's your office phone. <laughs> Justin, I don't. I specifically didn't log in here, so I would uh, my home phone, so I wouldn't it wouldn't ring in my in my. I don't know how to make it be quiet. No, I can. I'll take it away. Pick it up and hang it up. So CCRC is a continuing care retirement community. There used to be very few of these, and it's mm. it's a model now that is becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. And so you will see more and more of these communities popping up. So a CCRC kind of puts everything together that we've mm-hmm. talked about, plus nursing home. So a CCRC is sort of a campus. You can kind of think about it like a college campus where there's all these, you know, you drive in and it's sort of this, this large area with all these different buildings. A lot of them are you know, beautifully landscaped. They're really, really nice places. Linden Ponds and Hingham is a CCRC, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's the yeah. biggest one around so, here. Yeah. So a CCRC is a model where you typically a CCRC wants residents that are fairly independent. So a CCR, you know, a, a perfect person for a CCRC is someone that is you know, fairly young. And I say fairly young because I often meet people that are in their 90s. So fairly yeah. young, you know, 60s and 70s yeah. that are healthy, um, that are, you know, pretty independent, that can get around by themselves. You know, maybe they're using a cane or something, but they're still fairly independent with taking care of themselves day to day. You know, maybe they drive, but there's someone that that really just doesn't want the doesn't want to have a home anymore. They don't yeah. want the nuisance of taking care of I a home. I don't want a home anymore, and I'm only 41. <laughs> yeah, let's so go. Much let's work. move into CCRC. You and me, we'll be the youngest ones there. It'll be like we're in college again. I know, it'll be great. Um, <laughs> they might have to come up with some different activities, but I think we can do it. Justin, you're yeah. muted. I don't know if you're trying to talk to us, but you're muted. Oh, okay. Um, so, so I do. What you know, When I drive into CCRCs and see clients there, I think to myself, you know, I think I would love this. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a pretty social person. You are too. I think, yeah. you know, yeah. it would be it, it really for the folks that it works well for the folks that it works. And they for. have full so. calendars of activities oh, yeah. that you can pay oh, yeah. for. And it, it's like a la carte pricing too, right? Like you can pay for different, I don't know, clubs and things that yeah. you're going to be involved in and things like yeah. that or not. Yeah. And a lot of these yeah. places now, because they are targeting a younger population um, and because people, you know, the conversation about long-term care is becoming a more regular conversation. 
they're targeting younger people. So there's yeah. a lot of, you know, lifelong learning going on in these yeah, places. It is people like college, it's like college it's campuses really, for adults. It's really pretty neat. You I know? saw Lyndon it's, Ponds recently just happened to glance at the brochure and they had like woodworking classes oh yeah. and I don't know, yeah. art classes and things like that. Yeah. Right. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. There's folks that, that, um, that live there that actually do some of the lectures for other people, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of people, you know, highly educated individuals yeah. moving into these places that have a lot to offer the mm -hmm. community. So, you know, there's residents there that offer classes. And, you know, I have a client right now that is thinking about um, a CCRC for her and her husband, and she is very healthy. She is an artist and actually has an art gallery and, and thinking, you know, wanting to look at different places and see what they offer for, for that kind of cool. interest. So yeah, it's really interesting. So for a CCRC, like I said, they're targeting younger, younger people that are fairly healthy and you have to, what you have to have is, is a good chunk of money that you come into a CCRC with. Yeah. Like you our, have a good, like proceeds from sale of home, something like that. You're exactly. talking about several hundreds of thousands, several of hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Of there's a, there's yeah. a, like a, a, it's a one-time buy-in, right? I don't know if they all work like this, but I know at least many of them, there'll be a, well, if you want to get in here, there's an upfront yeah. fee that is charged. That's pretty substantial. But a high percentage of it generally refunded when you pass away or leave, right? Refunded to exactly. the family. Okay. Exactly. So yeah, the idea is you come in with a, a you know, you big chunk of money, like you said, 300, 400, 500, $600,000. It yeah. varies. Um, and actually I need to start go, you know, going to visit more, the newer ones to see what their, um, you know, what their prices are. And I'm sure there's going to be, you know, different models evolving mm -hmm. in places like this over the coming years, just because of the population. So um, I need to, you know, stay, stay up on that. But, but most typically you go in with a couple hundred thousand dollars, you're fairly healthy, you're fairly mobile usually, and fairly independent. And you say, here, here's my money. I want to live here. And they say, okay, we'll take your money, but you also pay a monthly yeah. fee. So that, you know, people also don't necessarily understand that because it does, it seems outrageous. You know, when you think about it, you're paying $500,000, but you also have to pay, you yeah. know, $6,000 a month, depending on what level of care you're moving into. Typically you move into the independent living. Um, a lot of CCRCs, won't actually accept people into any other level of care, but independent. Oh, you can move up, but you can't start at a, at a yeah. higher level of care. Okay. Some of them do, but it's not very many. Okay. So that's why you can. And I tell people this all the time when they're coming to me for advice on what to do. I, I tell them if you're thinking about a CCRC, really think about it because you could kind of miss your window. Yeah. If you have one that you really want to move into, yeah. but your health changes over the next 10 years you know, just understand that you might miss your window for that CCRC. So it is something to really think about and consider mm -hmm. if it's something that you're thinking about and considering, you know, you don't want to just let it float out there. You want to kind of really understand where you need to be at. Do you know what, like move. what, what's there? Like, why do you need like 400,000 upfront, but it gets refunded to the family? Is it that they, it's like a security deposit. Do they like draw from it? If you stop paying your monthly or you elevate in terms of your level of care and you can't afford it, then they start drawing from that. Like, do you know anything yeah, about that? I, I think they do. I think, you know, that's a good question. I don't know exactly what, I don't know exactly what happens. It's just with an that. interesting model. Like it could be yeah. like a half a million dollars up front and mm -hmm. then, you know, I don't know, making up numbers, but something like 90% of it is refunded 90%. when you yeah. leave or you, or, you, or you pass away. Right. So I was just, just yeah. trying to understand the model 
Yeah. Right. And I'm assuming it's some sort of a security deposit and there's some language in there that they could, you know, reduce yes. that what's refunded to the family right. under certain situations. Right. And right. And I know, you know, the idea of the CCRC, right, the marketing behind it and what they tell people is that you're covered, right? This is your safety net. You're covered for life. So I know they want to work with people, you know, if they do help, you know, say someone lives until they're 106 and they really didn't expect to, they don't want to kick people out. You know, they mm-hmm. want to work with you. So perhaps there's some cushion yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, because really, like I said, the marketing behind it, the idea behind it is this is your last move. You're covered. You know, whatever you need in terms of level of care, we've got you. Yeah. So it's that safety net that attracts people to a CCRC. So uh, maybe that's some of the idea. But yeah, I, I don't know spe- specifically. So, about the, the so how is it different um, from like an independent living, though? Is it like the same thing? So so it's a campus. So oh. your every level of care is there. So there's independent living. So some of the CCRCs have like individual a different building sort of cottage style independent uh, living where okay. it's almost like you're living in your own house but you have this safety net where if you are hospitalized and you need to go to rehab they have a rehab there they have a nursing uh, home there they have an assisted living there so they have all of the levels of care at okay. that ccrc mm-hmm. so pretty much the only reason you need to leave is they don't have acute care hospitals so if you need mm-hmm. to be hospitalized you need to leave your ccrc and go be treated mm-hmm. in the hospital but pretty much every other level of care they have there. So it sort of encompasses everything that we talked about. So it encompasses that independent living it encompasses that assisted living. And then they also typically have skilled nursing and rehab. So they have the long-term care that one might need and the rehab option. Typically uh, long-term care, which is, you know, a long-term care facility is a nursing home, skilled nursing facility, SNF. Those are all sort of interchangeable terms. Typically, any any building that offers long term care also offers short term skilled rehab. So, you know, for that person we were talking about that had a stroke that needs to go to, you know, that was in an acute care hospital for six days and then needs to go to rehab. They're typically going to a long term care type environment that also has a a subacute rehab. So on those CCRC campuses, they have it encompasses all of those different levels of care. Okay. So you're in that, once you're in that community, you don't need to go elsewhere. So they make room for you, you know, in, in whatever level of care you need to go to. I think it's brilliant. Yep. Like, yep. you know, just to yes. be able to like, and there's, I, I guess I haven't been to one of these campuses in a long time, but you mm-hmm. know, is there like a you little know, honestly, market and there's like a hair gorgeous. studio? Like there is there like a little market? There's often a, a market, shop, there's a hair salon. Just, Some of them have pools. You really want to move into one of these places. Totally I, I think and, I'm going to sign and her what's up. The, what's the minimum age? <laughs> Can I move in go? when I'm like 50 and my kids are all off at school? <laughs> I mean, truly, like I said, for the people that it works for, it really works for. For those people that just don't want the hassle of a house anymore. And, you know, oftentimes... The, the lady I was just referring to who has her art studio, she is incredibly social. Her husband is not. Um, and they want, but it's tougher for them to see friends and some friends have passed away. And, yeah. and, and she wants to be somewhere where it's easier for her to be social, but it's still just as easy for her husband not to be social. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, so it meets the needs of, of both spouses oftentimes. But also for people like her specifically, they really want to 
ease a a burden, even if it's not a seen burden, it's a, it's a, you know, unconscious burden for their family. So for them, it's, you know, for her, she said, my two kids are so busy. You know, my daughter's a doctor. My son is this, they have their own families. Yeah. They will do whatever we need to do, but we don't want them to, we want to take that burden off of them. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do to plan for ourselves. And that's a lot of, a lot of folks that I see that are thinking about CCRCs. It's not just for them, but it's, it's for their family. What have you so. seen in terms of, so I understand the upfront cost in a CCRC, it's like, it's a sort of similar to purchasing a piece of real estate. I mean, yep. in terms yep. of cost, um, what about like, what's the range of monthly fees in the CCRCs? Is it like three to 6,000 or is it usually like four and up? 4,000 and up. Yeah. Month. Yeah. Okay. And then it goes up depending on the level of care. Right. You know, if you go from independent to assisted to the nursing home, it goes up. Right. Right. I was going to yep. say, and I, and I want to get into sort of some, some recommendations on, on how to look for, you know, how to, how to look for appropriate services for, you know, for, for individuals here. But I mean, if you think about the CCRC, right. I mean, if, if you, if you, in a world where there were no CCRCs, you would, and you went through the entire continuum of care. I mean, the amount of work that's involved, right? Because you, you, so you start off and I need some home care. Well, what do I need to do? I got to go find a home care agency. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the next level, maybe then it's adult day health and you have to mm-hmm. find a different uh, agency, right? And then it's, a, yeah. you know, then it's an assisted living and you have to go through that. You have to go through the process of assessing all right. of these places. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, maybe, you know, moving and uprooting your life, right? Yep. I mean, the, the, the level of complexity is, involved in just yeah. one of these steps is so high. Yeah. And I'm sure that's why, you know, obviously that's probably why yeah. you have a job, Suzanne, partially. Exactly. So is, uh, is part of your role as an aging care, li- it's aging life care professional, right? Mm-hmm. Is part mm-hmm. of your You'll role. Get it right by the I will. I wrote it down here on my screen. Um, <laughs> is part of your role helping people determine which of these, if any, you know, yep. are most appropriate? And, yeah, and it sounds like absolutely. you visit a lot of them and have seen them and can, you know, give them some real experience. Maybe some of your other clients that have spent time in some of these. I mean, that's huge right there. You mentioned earlier in the show, like, you know, that, that what uh, what you do for people is, you know, helping with all that coordination and the logistics. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking I'm sitting here thinking I am 41. I have three kids, like the amount of like dentist appointments and orthodontist Mm -hmm. appointments and, Mm -hmm. you know, my own like PT, like I can barely keep all that stuff straight. And we're not Mm -hmm. even talking about anything, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, serious. We're talking about just basic stuff at this point, like just the coordination and the handling all those logistics and the research. And how do you know who you're hiring is reputable? And I can trust this person, you know, alone in my mom's home, for example, like that is just invaluable right there. Um, so can you talk about that's what I often say to people? It's it's not inexpensive, but it is invaluable to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, again, we're, I mean, we sort of opened the show by saying, you know, someone that's looking to hire an aging life care professional is someone that has the means um, to pay for care in general and, and to pay for someone to help coordinate that care. So, right. yeah, right. it's and, yep. and people will uh, reach out to you if they find value in that. And I think many people exactly. will, because if you think about the people that are coordinating, uh, you know, care, it's generally like, you know, the 50 something working, pr- you know, adults, right? Yeah. I mean, that's oh, very yeah. often who is, you know, coordinating the, the care for their aging parent. And, and yeah. that's like, you know, that age is like incredibly busy with their own kids and oh. incredibly busy career. in their career, right? Like, you know, the peak of your career years and, 
Um, it's hard to find time in the day for all that stuff. So it is, it is. And you know, when, when people call often and don't really know what I do and then I explain it to them, they say, Oh my gosh, that's, that's what I do for my mom. And it's like a full-time job. And I say, yeah, that's, that's why I have a full-time job (laughs) because it is a full-time job. So, you know, and the relief I got a, I, I recently got a thank you note from a, um, a client of mine that passed away and she said, you're worth your weight in gold. So just, you know, which is, it's, you know, that's why I became a nurse and a social worker. So it's, it is, it's, it's invaluable for people, um, you know, that can, that can afford it and that understand the value and and the stress involved that that comes with, with aging. Yeah. It comes with opportunities, but it comes with a lot of stresses too. And are your relationships with your clients? I mean, I think you mentioned that there are some one-offs, but is it generally like you have this relationship with their client for their life? Because it's not often that someone is like in a medical situation later in life that, well, I guess a lot of people get better, but generally like no it's typically it's typically like i said i do have those one-offs where they just want some advice and then they move on on their own but for those that i'm providing true care management for it's typically for their life because it would it's rare that they start engaging my services and are able to pay and then say oh you know it's not really worth it it's rare that that happens typically when someone engages us and if they truly are using the care management services they typically stick with stick with me yeah well they recognize they recognize the value in it right is your yeah i know that you interface obviously a lot with children of someone who is in need of of care Mm -hmm. how often are you is your sort of main point of contact the actual um person who is in need of the care right i mean i'm Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like just for for the folks out there Mm -hmm. who may be looking at you know maybe needing some help is it are you Mm -hmm. you almost always working with with kids of a parent or Mm -hmm. or relatives of a you know someone in the older generation Uh, or are you ever actually working with we'll we'll call them the elder uh and you know just helping out with you know with them but with them as the Mm -hmm. contact yeah, it depends. Every everyone's different. Typically, the fir- typically we get referrals from well, not necessarily referrals, but the first person that calls is typically an adult child yeah. of an elder, most okay. typically. Um, and you know, that's one of the first questions that I always ask is is you know how much of their own care do they manage? So I do have a few folks. I would say it's not the majority, but I have a few folks that before I got involved, they were a hundred percent managing for themselves. Hmm. I would say that's maybe 25% of the people that I see for most people that we get involved with before I got involved, there was a family member helping to do some coordination. Hmm. Um, there are a few, like I said, maybe about a quarter of folks that, you know, they call me themselves and up until this point, they have been doing all of their own management. Um, and they don't want to do that anymore, but I'd say that's not the majority of people. And usually there's even for those folks, you know, I have a couple of those folks right now that, that pretty much were managing everything themselves and, and I now manage with them. So, you know, I go to doctor's appointments with them and then, and then we touch, you know, we, we sort of, um, talk about what happened afterwards and there's not necessarily any family involvement, right? I'd say for the most part, for for 90% of the clients that I have, even if I'm mostly discussing with the elder, there is some family involvement typically. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. On that note, we we have to take a break here in a second. Um, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. Um, joined today, we're talking about elder care today, long term care type issues. Uh, my uh, co host today is Justin McNamara. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. Um, our guest today has been great. My sister in law, Suzanne McNamara. Uh, her business is Kinship Kinship Elder Care. Dot com, um, And we're talking about sort of all things elder care today. We're going to wrap up the show uh, right after the break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by Justin McNamara, my brother and business partner, and my sister-in-law, Suzanne McNamara. Uh, We're talking about elder care issues today, elder care management in specific, um, sort of all things related to that and long-term care. we, you can find out more about uh, my sister-in-law, Suzanne, at kinshipeldercare.com. And I forget where we left off. But I have a lot of questions, actually. I've been sort of writing down questions as we go along. And now that we're sort of in the last segment, can I, can I get to some of those? Or did you have yeah, something? Yeah, I have some of those, too, to yeah. Know? Okay. Go for it. I think and we Suzanne, were pretty much had, done anyway. I was sort if of, you have anything, yeah, just chime in if there's anything that you think that the audience would find valuable and, yeah. and we have not asked you about, please don't hesitate to, you know, to let us know. But, yeah, we have a, we have a few questions anyway. So let's yeah, so, so yeah, maybe yeah, this we one, wrapped up anyway. I was just talking about CCRCs. And, we, okay. you know, we pretty and much my future, up, so. my future uh, yeah, Alyssa's living. In, in situation coming, yeah. coming year, so. <laughs> what's the minimum age again oh, no. <laughs> we'll change it to ccwc for working to, for Alyssa. Yeah. <laughs> i actually yeah, think yeah. it's called an, a city <laughs> like oh, yeah. an urban yeah, city yeah. yeah um all right so um maybe this one isn't really a question it's just more a i don't know an observation or maybe a reflection on our personal situation you know from last year when we went through this uh situation with my mom um and and basically you were in a you weren't so much managing the care but you were sort of playing that role a little bit when when my mom was ill and and mm-hmm. i guess my reflection on that is just how helpful it was um to me just because i don't i'm a numbers person like i'm a math person and and that's how my brain comprehends things and things like medicine and and it, it's just hard for me to understand and i would have a really hard time even when i go to like the doctor with my girls <laughs> i sometimes or your, have or a your hard pets. You know, or your the pets, vet you know. oh the vet don't even get me started on the vet i have no idea Whenever what they're I saying ask you to how me when you're like i don't know what they i have said. no idea know. what they say to me i'm like i don't know what do you think uh, yeah i just i i don't understand what they're saying and 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 doctors seem like I mean I don't don't know what it's like to be trained as a as a medical professional but it seems like doctors and nurses want to give the patient all of this information so that the patient can make a decision right that's what it seems to me and and coming from someone who doesn't understand any of that I have a hard time making decisions Mm -hmm. and because Mm -hmm. I don't um, you know it's kind of like I appreciate them explaining things to me but I don't understand it and so I have a hard time making decisions so I'm just Mm -hmm. sort of maybe 
I'm assuming that that's some of the things you can help your clients with. Um, because I feel like you're kind of the the middleman between their medical professionals and, and them or their family in, in terms of like translating. What does yeah. this mean? What actually, like I'm the type of person that would, I, you know, I hurt my ankle recently and I walked out of the orthopedic, the, the meeting with the orthopedic specialist and I have like no idea what they said and, and yeah. didn't yeah. understand. No, yeah, you're, right. you're absolutely right. And and it's, it's, like they'd ask me, what do I want to do? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like you give me two choices. I don't know. Right. So I'm assuming that's the role and there can't, I can't be like the only one that doesn't understand medicine. No. And you're like that, you know, highly educated professional. It's, it's, you know, and it's a problem, excuse me. It's a problem with medicine in general. And it's not just the translation and the understanding, but it's often, actually, I had a new caller on Friday uh, and I was explaining, he was, his mom is kind of in a very acute situation And so his emotions were very high on the call, which is not uncommon. And I explained to him what we did. And he he said, well, this is what's been missing because it's not only the translation piece, but it's also just the general coordination of care, especially when someone is in the hospital Mm. and they have multiple things going on. As your dad used to say when your mom was, you know, in and out of the hospital last summer, he said, who's who's quarterbacking this? Mm. Because there's nobody. There's no one. And it's. There is no role for that, unfortunately, and there needs to be. So you might be in the best hospital in the entire country meeting with the, the you know, highest level of, of professionals and, you know, people that are much smarter than me, right, and, and these amazing physicians. But if they're not talking to each other and if they don't know what the other one has told you and if they're not reading each other's records and doing all of those things, then you're nowhere, Right. And so you have to have someone, which oftentimes it's a family member. And that's oftentimes when we get the call and they say, oh, thank goodness, this is what you do, because there's no one that is putting all the pieces together. So, you know, the cardiologist comes in and says one thing and that may be great. And he's the smartest person you've ever met. But then, you know, the neurologist comes in and says something different. And well, they haven't had a chance to read the, you know, the cardiologist note. So they might tell you something that's, you know, contradictory that, that and, sounds like a flaw just, in the system by the way too oh it's like, a huge flaw that in they're the system. not yeah. it's it's a huge flaw in the system you know and it used to be that someone's primary care physician was kind of that I quarterback gonna, i was gonna say and that, the person yeah. that was there to put all the pieces together but but the primary care physician just doesn't serve that role anymore and well they're too most busy primary care physicians have you know a million patients yeah. and they don't have the time and you know yeah. again and i have to i have to um say that you know, most of these physicians are very well-meaning and they want to do what's best for their patient. They're doing a great job. They're highly educated. They know what they're doing in their field, Mm -hmm. but they stay in their lane and they have to stay in their lane. And so you need someone that's crossing over all of those lanes. You know, you need someone that's looking at it from every perspective, not only health-wise, but you know, you have to look at the social systems. You have to look at what that person has at home for supports. You have to look at well, it's great if the, you know, dietitian tells you to change your diet, but you go home, is that really going to happen? You know, you have to have someone that can, mm. that can go back and forth in all the lanes and not only understand what's being said to translate to the family and to the patient, but to also help coordinate and put all those pieces together yeah. because it can be like a puzzle. So yeah. what, and it is what's, absolutely a flaw. In so the as, an, as an elder care manager, like what's your, what's your ongoing relationship, if anything, with their doctors? Like, are you the one... Yeah. Oftentimes it's, I'm very involved. So, um, and oftentimes, you know, I get referred, I just got a referral from 
one of my client's primary care physicians because I go to her, I go to all of the visits with her mm-hmm. to him. So I see him quite frequently. Um, and depending on the client and the level of involvement, like I said, I'm oftentimes the one that's making the appointments. So I'm I'm oftentimes the first point of contact for physician's offices. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so if it's not an emergency, which typically a physician's office isn't going to be calling for an emergency because that wouldn't really make sense. I'm often the first point of contact because I'm the one coordinating, scheduling, going to doctor's appointments. It must be and easier ha- for the medical, prof- the doctors as well to oh, have someone that, under- that understands what they're talking about and they what love the it. diagnosis love is they and what it. the next and steps it, and are. You know, it, yeah. It's a professional relationship, so it sort of takes out, you know, yeah. written, I, I'm a nurse and I'm a sure. social worker, and, and that's first who I am, so I care, but I'm not a family member, so I can yeah. see things from, you know, somewhat of an objective perspective, so mm. it helps the it helps the medical professional immensely to be able to to talk to me and say, well, you know what I'm talking about, you know, it, can, it shortens visits sometimes because they say, you can talk to your client, you know, out, outside about that because you know what you're talking about, so. yeah. It really does. It helps the client, but it also helps all their medical professionals for sure. Yeah. Just to, just to follow up, I was always disconcerted when when we were, you know, going through everything from a medical point of view. And, you know, Suzanne would say something like, yeah, well, the doctor said this, but and like, mm-hmm. if, if, you know, in in my relationship with doctors, I don't even you know, they say something and I, you know, I come home from, you know, the kids doctor's appointments yeah. and, you know, Suzanne said, well, I say the doctor said this. And then she said, well, did you ask this and this and this I and this? Know. And I said, no, the doctor yeah. said this. So I'm, I'm not going to, what do I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know? So doctors aren't God. They're <laughs> yeah. wonderful people, but they're yeah. people just like you and I. And so part of my job is to question everything, you know, and advocate. Yeah. And, and that means asking all of those questions and, um, like I said, most doctors are, are doing a great job, just like the rest of us trying to do their best. But that doesn't mean that there's not a million questions that need to be asked, you know, um, for at every appointment. So that's definitely part of my job. But again, typically, most most of those professionals want to do a good job. So yeah. my questions are welcomed and um, and warranted. And, and I have really good relationships with most of my um, clients, physicians, you know, again, you get, you get those doctors that you do have to, or any professional that you have to push back on. So, so sometimes, you know, my advocacy does make it uncomfortable, you know, I'm not going to, not going to lie and say it doesn't. Sometimes it does. I have to push back on, on professionals, on, on, um, facilities sometimes, because my first job is to advocate for my clients, but for the most part, people in, you know, healthcare are, are trying to do a good job. So they, they welcome my visits. They welcome my, uh, involvement in their in their patients and clients typically. Um, I have a few other. Liz, do you have any more questions for her? Yeah, that, that just, I, I have one that's. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so Suzanne, one of the things that I wanted to um, catch up on was what advice you might have for someone who's in the situation where they're having to choose, uh, you know, a health service, whether it's a home care, whether it's an assisted living, uh, or even a nursing home. Is there advice that you would have for people who are making that decision without the help of an elder care manager? Is it the kind of thing where you, um, you just need to, you know, kind of need to know the, the local market, or is there other resources that you can use or questions that folks should ask? Um, is that something that you could help with us? Good question. Um, So it's a really tough question to answer, actually, Um, in terms of, well, I'll start by saying this, the only really hard and fast data that you can find in terms of ratings for places would be in regards to nursing homes. So skilled nursing facilities, nursing homes, long-term care facilities, those words are all interchangeable. Those facilities are 
audited, surveyed, visited every year by the Department of Public Health. So every year, DPH steps into every nursing home uh, in the state that is that is a you know a state-run nursing home unannounced, and they do a they do an audit. Basically, they stay for a couple of days. They look at charts. They talk to residents. They talk to family members. And then they get a rating and those ratings are available publicly on it's on mass.gov and you can get those. You can search nursing homes by zip code or by name, and you can, you can look at what, how DPH department of public health rated them. Um, That's really the only level of care that you can get that standardized rating for nursing homes. Other than that, assisted livings, home care, VNAs, CCRCs, it's more subjective. It's more personal experience because all of those places, like I said, they're not regulated in terms of being a medical model. Mm. So it's really visiting them, getting a feel and hearing from folks like me or folks in the community as to what the experience is at places like this. So when someone is trying to choose an assisted living or a CCRC, um, I certainly can tell folks my experiences, but they're also different in appearance, in aesthetic, in population, that I really tell people it's very individual and you need to come up with a couple of places and you need to tour them. You need to go sit down and have lunch. You need to you need to look at the population. You need to look at the geographical area. You need to see, you need to figure out what's important to you. Is it more important to be within 10 miles of your family member or do you care more about the appearance? And, and the amenities, you know, it, it just varies so greatly and it's super subjective person to person. So you can look online easily in five seconds and get uh, what the DPH rated nursing homes in your area, but it's not so easy with the other uh, levels of care and residences. It seems a little bit daunting too, just because there are so many. Yeah. There's yeah. just so many choices. There are so many choices and it's not always obvious. If you just, you know, if you just do a quick Google search, Elder care near, you know, Marshfield, Mass. Everything comes up. You'll get VNAs, depending on the name of the company, right? You'll get VNAs, you'll get home cares, you'll get assisted livings, you'll get nursing homes. It's it's because it's such a nuanced field. It's not like Googling, you know, electrician Marshfield. You're pretty much going to get electricians and only electricians. But if you're looking for assisted living and you Google, you know, elder care or home care or assisted, even if you Google assisted living, things like home care pop up. So, you know, that's why folks often come to us just because they are so overwhelmed by a quick Google search. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, is the, you know, and and maybe this is different, maybe this answer is different for different types of, uh, you know, facilities and services, but do, you know, are there large sort of national firms that are, you know, in, you know, let's say the home care business or the nursing home business or the assisted living business, or is it it more small firms where it's, you know, I mean, obviously large businesses have their drawbacks, but you know, kind of trust, you know, trust in a brand is, is one thing that they certainly do offer. So what, what is that like in the, in kind of the, the medical and elder care fields? Sorry, can you repeat the beginning of that? I was distracted by our, our sick child. Can you, can you repeat the beginning <laughs> Sorry. of that? Is it, are, are there like national brands that are in elder oh, care, yeah. whether it's home yeah. care, yeah. nursing homes, yes. or, oh, yeah. or nursing home, or, or is it mainly small businesses or is it a mixture? I just don't know what it's that, a mixture. Yeah. Okay. It's a mixture for sure. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the smaller businesses are being bought out by those larger brands. So there's, okay. you know, there were standalone independent assisted livings, privately owned 
that now, you know, and I don't even always know until I drive past them, but I see that, oh, that place is now a benchmark. It used to be a a privately owned Mm -hmm. assisted living, but a lot of the bigger companies are buying them out. So I would say for assisted livings, for the most part, there's fewer and fewer that are sort of independent, freestanding, family owned, whatever, small businesses. A lot of them are bought by national chains now. Um, and sort of popping up everywhere. And um, are are the choices that people have are they different based on how they're paying, like whether it's private, like whether it's I guess what we call private pay or via long term care or via Medicare. Are their choices in terms of facilities different? No, um, okay. I mean you know the only way to pay for home care, assisted living, that kind of thing is either private pay or long-term care insurance. Oh, right. right? I'm sorry. Medicare, I didn't mean Medicare. Meant, med- yeah. yeah. Sorry. But no, in terms of the facilities, um, you know, you don't, they don't typically, they, they, they accept private pay or a long, you know, long-term care insurance reimbursement type yeah, of thing. Okay. So you're not, it doesn't really, ma- in that regard, it doesn't really matter. Okay. What about if someone's on Medicaid? Or do they have more limited choices? And if they're going to if they're going to a nursing home and they're on Medicaid, I always, I thought that they had more limited choices or something. Like some private nursing yeah. homes, for example, might not accept Medicaid patients. Right. Yeah. So there are there are very few private nursing homes. Most of the okay. nursing homes in it, it, most of any nursing home that you drive by or that you see online. Most of them are state run. You know, they have between 100 and 150 beds okay. and they accept Medicaid. However, I will say Wait, mo- that I'm sorry. Most are state state run, run. She said, well, they're state. They accept they accept Medicaid. So if you oh, need okay. if okay. you need to be there for long term care um, and you, you know, you run out of money or you don't have any money to start, you apply for MassHealth and MassHealth covers your room and board for a nursing home. There's very few and they're very hard to find, um, strictly private nursing homes. And typically the ones that are strictly private, like I said, they're few and far between. They're very small. And I mean, very small, like 10 beds. Um, and there's just not very, there's just not very many of them out there. Um, for, you know, for most people that could afford $450 a day to be in a private nursing home, they would also be able to most likely afford, you know, $700 a day and be at home with 24 hour care. And I'm just throwing, those are not hard and fast numbers, but typically those folks that can afford to pay for a private nursing home would just be at home because usually they could afford that too. You know, usually the folks that are privately paying for a nursing home are probably, you know, and know that they can only afford it for a period of time would go to a nursing home that accepts Medicaid because they need to know that if they run out of money, they're going to still be covered. So there's just not that much need for those small privately owned private pay nursing homes. Just not a huge, you know, just not a huge need out there. So there's just not very many of them. So it's, it's mostly those larger 100 to 150 bed skilled nursing rehab and long-term care combination. Yep. Um, just get get us kind of we've only got maybe four or five minutes left, so just kind okay. of circling back to like your services and mm-hmm. um, and by the way, this is uh, Suzanne McNamara with Kinship um, Elder Care. You can find her at kinshipeldercare.com. Looks like you have a little uh, tool where you can uh, be contacted right via the website. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit about, uh, for, first of all, um, what's your geographic area? You know, you're mentioning you go to doctor's appointments with your clients. Maybe that's not always the case, but are you working with people in a certain geographic area or do you have clients all over the place and you can do a lot via Zoom and phone or like, yep. w- talk to me about your client base. Yeah, so I'm out of Westford, Massachusetts, and um, it would be nice if all my clients were right in this area. Yeah. That people, you know, my geographic area for where people live, you know, Westford and surrounding towns, Merrimack Valley, but but I go out quite a distance, and like you said, a lot of what I do is interfacing with physicians and things, and people's doctors are all over. So you know, I go, I often go into the city for people that are needing mm. to see specialists and and wanting to go to you know a doctor in the city at one of the big Boston hospitals. So. I kind of go all over, but, you know, since COVID, there has been a lot more virtual stuff, which, you know, can be nice. We, I, I now do some doctor's visits virtually. You know, I have some, some clients that, that have regular doctor's appointments, but there's nothing acute going on. And the doctors are now very open to doing virtual visits, which is nice. So mm-hmm. I can just go to the client's home or their assisted living and, you know, sign in and, and do the visit right from there. But I do, you know, there's a there's a significant amount of driving. And so I get to listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I, I do. I do drive quite a bit. The McNamara yeah. on money podcast. I All know. the time. <laughs> um, it's number one. Number one. What's your yeah. like, maybe this varies. Like, what's your frequency of contact with your client or your client's family? Is it like daily or is it just totally depend on the diagnosis and the situation? Completely yeah. depends okay. on the situation. Yeah. Um, and it often varies. It varies from client to client, but often within my relationship, it varies. So, you know for that client I was talking to about that's in an assisted living when things are well and he's quite stable, I see him a couple times a month, but if he's hospitalized, okay. I'm checking him to that hospital daily because I'm his advocate. I'm there. So I'm, I'm calling, I'm visiting if I'm able to, depending on the COVID situation. Hmm. Um, and I'm talking to the son, you know, at least emailing an update daily, hmm. but if everything's good and stable and things are well, it might be more like monthly, but it just completely depends on the acuity of the situation. Yeah. And I'm, and yeah. are you, I'm sure, I'm assuming you're proactive about, you know, for those that are well and things aren't, mm-hmm. you know, emergent, I'm assuming you're proactive about the well checks and things like that. Cause you're really the one I determining if they're well, right? Yeah. And I usually tell people if they want to remain involved with me, I usually like to see people a minimum of once a month. Okay. Um, just because it does, you know, it doesn't really make sense for me to stay involved if I'm seeing them less than that. Right. So I always tell people I'm here. But if you really want me to stay involved and and you plan on using my services more acutely if something comes up, I really need to see, you know, your mom or your dad once a month just to sort of stay involved and see what changes there have been. And people are typically fine with that because they they want to make sure that I'm I'm there when it's really needed. Okay. I just had a question because, you know, we're we're sort of long term planners by nature. And a lot of what we're doing is is um, looking very, very far ahead. Are you working uh, with with folks, oh, I guess I should say, how often are you working with folks who are caring for, let's say, a parent, but they are, but the parent is not well enough to be able to, you know, have involvement in the decisions, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering how often that comes up where you're having to work with, let's say, the child and say, who's saying to you, hey, I don't know what mom or dad would want here. And, you know, how often is that a stressor? And I guess just maybe use that mm-hmm. as an opportunity to say, hey, you know, if you if you have ideas of how you want your care to turn out when you're mm-hmm. older, talk maybe now is the time to we'll yeah talk to talk about, about it, it or put it in writing. So I just didn't know if you oh, yeah. if you run into All that, if it's, if it's often a problem or never. All the time. Yeah. Oh, I All the time. Okay. Um, I can know, see how that could, into- could be like, mom 
and like son or daughter have different ideas of what oh, the, care, the, the level of care should be. Sometimes mom oh. or dad are ready to let go or whatever, right? You know, they live their life all and, the you know, harder for, for the kids to get to that point, right? All the time. Yeah. All the time. It's funny. Yeah. When I when I think about going on the radio and talking for two hours, I'm always like, oh, gosh, I hope I don't know what to talk about. But now I, I now mean, you've I only got two minutes left and you've got I want to keep going. There's so much because yeah. I get so passionate about it. But it's true. You need to talk about these things now. It's never too early. To start, to, I mean, everybody that's over 18 should have a healthcare proxy. It should be documented. Mm. You should have it in a file somewhere. You know, you should make sure you have that because you never know what's going to happen. And you want to make sure that whoever is determining your care is documented because you think everything's fine with your family and you think everyone's on the same page. Well, I'll tell you, and you got, you know, this in finance too, they're not right. And nothing brings up emotions more than money and health. Mm. So you know, especially in families, there's nothing more dividing than money and health, I think. And we see it all the time. So when I talk to people that are just trying to plan and they're healthy and they just say, we want to plan, I say, great, let's talk about all of your documents. Let's get you an elder care attorney to make sure your documents are all in place. Let's make sure that not only are your documents in place, but those people that you've designated to make your decisions, let's have a conversation with those people, Mm. you know, and there's, 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 um, you know, there's documents you can bring to people to facilitate these conversations. There's, you know, there's the five wishes. There's things that you can, that I can bring to people to say, hey, this is not an easy conversation, yeah. but this is a conversation that we're going to have and that everybody should have. There's, so, there's the What If Workbook. We've had the author of the What If yeah. Workbook on our show before, Gwen yeah. Morgan. But yeah, there's yeah. lots of tools for that. And I'm sorry to cut you off. I guess we'll have to continue that next time Yeah, uh, yeah. we have you again. on the show. So um, you've been listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Find out more about us at McNamara financial.com or McNamara of the Merrimack.com for our Merrimack Valley location. Um, and please check out kinshipeldercare.com to find out more about Suzanne McNamara and her services as an aging life care professional, aka elder care management. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. 